conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Marjani Rawls. Today we are talking about Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. I don't know why you really need that subtitle, but it is there nonetheless. And <laughs> Marjani, I know this was one we've kind of gone back and forth on for a while because I was like, I really don't want to rewatch it. And then I ended up finally buying it so that I could have the ultimate edition, which is what we watched for this one. But for you, how many times had you seen this before the podcast? The first time I saw it was in the movie theater. So I went to go see Batman vs. Superman with a couple friends of mine who I see comic book movies all the time with, right? Uh So I get in, we see the movie, and I absolutely hated it. I, like, not that, okay, it's not that I hated it, it's just that there were some things, so much happened in the theatrical cut that doesn't really get context. I'm sure when we talk about the opening scene where uh, Lois is in Africa, like, if you watch that in the theater- theatrical scene, like, you'll be like, what the, what just happened? <laughs> so, like, there's so many characters and there's so many themes and everything like that. And I was just like, I sat and I remember when I wrote the review, I gave it like a 6 out of 10. I was like, ah, I don't really know about this movie. After being like super, super excited for it, especially I think when everybody saw the uh, the Comic-Con reveal with like the Superman logo with Batman logo behind it, you're like, what? And then, you know, they cast a Ben Affleck. I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is going to be incredible. And yeah. then, you know, so I saw that. Then I took some time away from it. Then I watched the theatrical cut again. Then uh, down the line, I saw the ultimate cut. And then I'm like, okay, I get it. This movie actually is a lot better than I thought. I saw Zack Snyder's complete vision in this cut that we watched. And I'm like, I get it. I get why. And, you know, if you hadn't heard me on the you know man of steel episode it's no surprise that i'm a huge superman fan and there's a tonal shift that happens with him between man of steel and this movie yeah you know batman within this movie is very dark uh there's a lot of dark tones in this movie there there's shimmers of light when they show superman but for most of the movie superman's persecuted superman is down in the dumps, Clark is like fiddling with basically what he did in Man of Steel, and initially I didn't like that, but then I got it. Like I'm like, okay, I see the bigger picture. So before watching the Ultimate Cut for this podcast, I probably watched it twice, and I I really do like it. I really do kind of get the whole scope of division, and with Zack Snyder movies. His ultimate cuts are usually his initial cut that he wants to show. At that point, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people were down to kind of like sit in the theater for three hours because this yeah. is a three-hour movie. It's or the the ultimate edition is about like 181 minutes or something like that. But like, yeah, this was like pre-end game, pre you know Infinity War. Like, I'm mean, but. Yeah, I, I probably watched it twice. And the theatrical I watched twice. Yeah, I had only seen the theatrical version once before watching the Ultimate one because I don't even remember if I saw it in theaters. I'm like 50% sure I did, but also 50% unsure where I ended up watching this. But I remembered a good amount of the third act, I would say. And a lot of stuff before the third act there, I was just like... Wait, Lois went where? What's going on? (laughs) It's a lot of mishmash. It's a lot of mishmash in the theatrical cut. Yeah, so I really did not like this the first time I saw it. I think I gave it a 2 out of 5. So I remember that. (laughs) Your 6 out of 10 seems pretty, pretty generous from my point of view. Yeah, it may have been, I think, 
the review it may have been a 5.8 it may have been that. yeah like it yeah but once i watched the ultimate cut it was sort of like okay this is much more cohesive there are still some weird story beats in it and there's a particular scene that i want to discuss later on when we get more into the story and everything but just right off the bat even though it was three hours it didn't really feel like three hours which was nice because i was like okay this flows better than the theatrical version so in a sense the theatrical version feels like it drags on longer than the ultimate one even though there's like 30 extra minutes of content and because i hadn't seen the theatrical version in so long i didn't even really know what was and wasn't there but one of the first things i noticed was how this overlaps with the events from man of steel so dc was certainly trying to make this a connected universe. Here's Superman and Batman living in the same world. And then later on, you get the inclusion of Wonder Woman, you see the Flash, Cyborg, Aquaman, you have all of these little tidbits leading into Justice League. And it didn't feel super forced for that stuff. It was just like, hey, you know, Lex has been working on this thing. Here's what we uncovered, or here's what Bruce uncovered anyway. And you kind of get the sense that they really wanted this connected universe to work. But because of how high the stakes were in this, I feel like it was going to be even harder for Justice League to follow up. And, you know, Justice League is one I have not been so eager to rewatch. I will do that eventually. <laughs> You're not but the I only felt one. Like Rewatching this paid off because I did give it a bump in the rating. I ended up giving it a three out of five when I watched this version because you can see where Zack Snyder wanted to go. And ironically, the day we are recording this, he's doing a commentary (laughs) on the movie. And I think he might be doing the ultimate cut for the commentary. I'm not 100% sure, but it's just funny how this movie is sort of popping back up again. And I think because we're kind of eagerly awaiting Matt Reeves' Batman movie, it's kind of like, okay, maybe it's a good time to revisit some of these things. And plus, you know, quarantine. So (laughs) we have the time to be watching three-hour movies again for this podcast. But I do want to dive into the story because really anyone who is familiar with this movie is already going to be familiar with the cast because you had probably seen Man of Steel, you know Henry Cavill, Superman, Ben Affleck is Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, or Gal Gadot, I'm not sure which one. But anyway, (laughs) you have these three main people who kind of are supposed to be the pillars of this universe. But I feel like when you throw in someone like Jesse Eisenberg as Lex, it kind of throws things off a little. Did you feel that Lex's presence kind of threw off the balance of the story a little bit, even though he obviously has a place in the story? See, here's the thing. Like, when I watched the theatrical cut, I was like, ah, like, I don't know about Jesse Eisenberg as like this quirky, like neurotic uh, take on Lex Luthor. Uh, Before then, you had Gene Hackman. And then you had uh, he, he he who shall not be named yeah <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey as you know Lex Luthor too even though like with his history and ugh, he was actually good Lex Luthor I thought but like rewatching the Ultimate Cut and kind of like taking notes and doing all the story beats he didn't I actually liked his performance a little more because. Lex Luthor's character, you know, throughout the comics, he's fascinated with Superman because Superman is, like, this godlike figure, and basically, like, Lex wants that power, you know what I mean? Like, Lex is supremely intelligent, but he can't be Superman. And I felt in the movie here that Lex was just an extension of all the people who are afraid of what Superman can do. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a little wonky how he, like, <laughs> tried to turn Superman and Batman against each other. Like, I, I thought, yeah. like, everything with the notes, I was like, ah, man, like, these guys, Clark and Bruce are intelligent. Like, Bruce is a detective. You know what I mean? Like, is he... I know that he had this burning hatred for Superman, but I'm like, I'm, can't they just talk this out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why do they have to fight like this is what i thought in the initial theatrical cut but i like jesse eisenberg as lex luther okay a little bit more like he 
basically is he goes in this maniacal space with this obsession of Superman turning everybody against each other. He's like the background guy who are playing people like chess pieces to turn the world against Superman. And it was already there because when you have an alien that can seemingly do anything and like the lady said in the beginning, she's like, I don't think Superman, he's not going to answer to you. I don't even think he answers to God. There is this inherent fear there with humans with, you know, if something appears that seems to be different or something that seems more powerful that reminds us of our humanity, we tend to reject it. And I think that, like, you know, Lex Luthor's character here is basically that invisible thing that is driving that fear. I did think his performance was a little too over the top for my liking. Yeah, it was a little over the top, I thought. There were some weird beats there, like when he was giving that speech and it was supposed to be about libraries or something. And he just sort of went off and then just kind of kept pausing. And I was like, this is not something that I felt like Lex would do because Lex is very meticulous about his thoughts and at least from the other versions that we've seen he plans everything out but jesse eisenberg's version of lex you're kind of just like oh he's just kind of doing things on whims instead of really thinking them through and he gets so obsessed with superman i think that is why he is the way he is in this movie and Another thing I didn't enjoy quite as much is the fact that Bruce just plays right into his hand. And it's like, okay, come on. We know, like you said, that Bruce is a detective. So it feels like that part of Bruce's hatred towards Superman was a little irrational because he was almost treating Superman like as the guy who killed his parents. Here's the thing, and this is kind of... Like rewatching the ultimate cut and kind of getting the full scope of what Zack Snyder wanted to do, and Chris Terrio and David Goyer, how they were writing Batman and Bruce Wayne's character. Like, I tried not to view it in the mindset of Christopher Nolan's, and then like everybody, like, I tried to detach it. So basically, like, Batman is. I mean, of course, he's a vigilante and everything, but Batman is basically through years and years of losing people, fighting these criminals, and, you know, losing his family and watching, like, all this destruction happen, especially with, you know, the events that happened in Man of Steel. He has become basically the Dark Knight Returns um, Batman, where, like, he's just older and brooding and. Maybe he turns away from his... He doesn't kill anybody. He still has that creed, right? But, like, he's branding people. (laughs) He's framed, especially when we first see Batman. But does he not kill anyone? Because he sure blows up a lot of cars with people in them. Well, here's the thing. Towards the end, where he's uh, rescuing Martha Kent, he surely kills a lot of people. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, just wanted to make sure we're on the same page there. (laughs) Yeah, like, initially, he kills like i mean he throws a crate at a guy you know what i mean i don't think that yeah. he's gonna get back up and, and walk away from that he's framed as basically more of a horror villain like when clark initially goes to gotham city to do that like uh sports story yeah. he, like he uh he asks and like he's the townspeople are really talking about bruce at or batman as this like specter of like almost like jason like i was like oh wow like you know what I mean? Like, he's only targeted people that need to be targeted and things yeah. like that. I think the lesson that the movie is trying to teach is that once you're drunk on anger and you're drunk on rage, and it, it goes with that monologue that he said, that Alfred says to Bruce, like, you know, it starts the, fee- the fever that turned good men cruel when they're watching what happens in Man of Steel. You kind of throw away all logic because, like, if you. Anybody could see, I mean, this is more towards the audience and not the characters in the film. Anybody could see that Superman is trying to do the right thing, even though it seems like he's in the wrong place at the wrong time almost every single instance in this movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he's trying to do the right thing. And since Bruce is so drunk on hatred and the need to have an adversary, you know what I mean? He kind of just 
detaches himself from all logic. I think this story made it jarring for a lot of people who are so used to Batman being the hero who refuses to use guns, refuses to kill people. And while obviously Superman isn't out here killing a ton of people without real reason, you know, General Zod was someone that no one else would be able to stop. And he was going to kill this family right in front of Superman. So his choices in that moment were very limited. And he understood that if he didn't make that choice, Zod would just keep coming back and coming back and coming at him because they probably don't even have a place that can really contain him. He would have had to be sent to the Phantom Zone. And then we would have had to have like this whole other movie where Superman was figuring that stuff out because in Man of Steel, he was very much in the early stages of figuring out who Zod was, why he's here, what's going on, the history of Krypton that he couldn't really remember. And there was just so much that they couldn't account for that to have Batman then take this sudden turn seemingly because it's not like we got a Ben Affleck Batman movie before this. We don't really see him spiraling down into that darkness. I mean, we do within this movie, but to get to where we first see him as Batman in this, we don't really get that beforehand. And I think it was a lot to put into one movie, even with the three hour cut. It may be a little bit more different for me because The Dark Knight Rises is like my favorite Batman story. Like uh, Batman coming back after this hiatus because like Gotham's overrun by the mutants. But he's just like this older, like more muscular, maybe slower, but he has the more brute version of himself. Like, you know what I mean? So did you feel like this was more a continuation of Christian Bale's Batman than a whole restart for him? No. Okay. I, I Because there's a very finite thing with Christian Bale's Batman. And I felt like... Yeah. If you look back to Christian Bale's Batman and with Christopher Nolan did, it seemed like Christopher Nolan... I love those movies. L- listen, I love Batman Begins. Yeah. I love you know, Dark Knight is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. I'll admit it's been a minute since I've watched The Dark Knight Rises. So I do yeah. know that it had like this very finalized ending like you said they knew this was going to be the end of bale's batman and it seems like at that time they didn't really know who would play batman next or what kind of story would come next so the fact that you know ben affleck only had what this movie and justice league really to develop the character it feels like it did a disservice to the character well for what i understand like man of steel was the start of what would be the dceu and then it was just kind of yeah. continued, and which ironically, like Christopher Nolan was the producer on. Uh huh. You know, from what I've read, like they wanted Christopher Nolan to be like the Kevin Feige of the DCU, and he was like, "No, like once I do this, like once I do this Man of Steel thing, I'm gone. I'm making then a stuff like movies, like you know." interstellar and and things like that which i understand like he Mm -hmm. already said that he was going to he didn't necessarily even want to do dark knight returns so like they had to get him back for that but they with this uh and with batman for superman it was introducing batman as if he was already existing within this dark within you know man of steel like and man of steel they show during the fight, they show the Wayne Tower like sign in the background, and like you, yeah, the one in Metropolis. So, like for me, I understand like if you aren't really necessarily familiar with the Dark Knight Returns storyline, and basically them, you know, Zack Snyder kind of interjecting Bruce from, oh, he's been in Gotham for twenty years, like he's been at this, he's lost Jason Todd, like you saw yeah. the. You know, the the, yeah, the suit and the hint of the Joker. It could be a little bit jarring. It's like, oh, there's so much history that just happened. You know what I mean? But like, I just, I, I love that story. So I thought Ben Affleck was basically the perfect embodiment of it, especially from a Bruce standpoint, because we've seen that like Thomas and Martha Kent scene over and over and over again. Like he was like, okay, we we know that Bruce's family dies like we we joe chill comes shoots them 
but it's shot in a Zack Snyder like uh, way, which I mean, I think that his cinematography in this film is absolutely amazing. But that still haunts Bruce. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. it still, the specter of his parents dying, like, him going to the grave, everything like that. Like, it's still, like, with the character, he's still this, you know, sad, you know, like, will he ever find happiness thing? Like, that's a motif in the movie, too, I felt. And he doesn't feel connected to Superman until he learns that his mother's name is also Martha. That was, okay. When I saw that in the movies, I was like, "What the hell? Like, this is <laughs> this is like I'm like, all right, man. Like this is a little. Cheap. I understand that they're both both their moms have you know name name is Martha. Great, blah blah blah. But when I first initially saw it, I'm like, what? I'm like, come on, like Martha. I was like, Ugh. but then like I took a step back from it, and I'm like, okay, well. They were kind of building up to this a little bit, like showing yeah. like the graves and showing like him, you know, Martha getting gunned down. That basically called him back to humanity. Still, I uh, still that that scene is still. <laughs> it's a little cringeworthy because you're like, okay, you're only going to relate to him all of a sudden because his mother's name is Martha. Like you weren't going to give him any mercy before it, <laughs> before you found that out. So that's what I meant earlier by he sort of just played right into Lex's hand because he was counting on that anger from Batman, especially to try and kill Superman. And even though his whole thing is he doesn't kill, I think for this story, it's coming out of a place of fear. Because there's one specific scene I want to dive into a little bit here, and it's that apocalyptic scene when mm-hmm. Bruce falls asleep at the back computer. And it was very jarring because you don't see Bruce fall asleep before we go into the scene. It's just like a sudden cut, and all of a sudden he's in this trench coat, and he kind of looks like, you know, this character from a totally different planet. You know, maybe this is not the same Earth that he, that this Batman that we've been watching the entire movie is on, but it is. It's just his imagination going wild while he's sleeping. And this is what he thinks the world is going to look like if he doesn't take care of Superman. And it is super jarring in one of those weird story beats where I was like, I don't think we needed this to be added in order to understand how Bruce was feeling about Superman. So, you know, there's this article I found from Vulture, I think, from a few years back that is literally just about the trench coat. So I will link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to just sort of get a little look at that. But, you know, you can tell that comic books have definitely taken some influence from this movie. And Maybe that scene in particular, because Last Night on Earth is kind of a similar looking Batman where he's wearing a trench coat and sort of just going through the horrible parts of the Earth that kind of look like this scene did in the movie. Well, with that scene, they were alluding to the nightmare storyline. Basically, when Darkseid kind of Superman goes evil and Darkseid takes over the Earth. And then you see that happen, and then we're, like, they have basically the Superman soldiers, and then you have the parademons, which I thought was actually, I'm like, oh, shit, like, this is pretty cool. And then, you know, when you have the Flash kind of come to him in that vision, him coming through the timeline saying, like, you know, like, Lois, she's the key, and then, like, you were right about him, it was basically alluding to, you know... Injustice, where I don't know if this was going to happen in Zack Snyder's version. I know he was building to it. But basically in Injustice, Joker kills Lois Lane. And then Superman basically goes, he goes evil because of it. And they basically, like, he takes over the world and there's, like, this whole new world order. But then eventually, like, Darkseid comes. It was going to be a combination of the two. And for what I understand, because Zack Snyder has been dropping stuff <laughs> for years, or yeah, uh, and listening to Kevin Smith, Darkseid was basically going to come and he was going to kill uh, Lois Lane in a future movie. And well, we didn't see it. 
it, maybe it's going to be in the Snyder Cut if we ever see that. But it kind of went with the whole thing of Lois and and Clark. This whole thing. Uh, it it goes in the first scene where uh, after the whole Africa thing. And they're talking, and she's like, you know, I don't know if you could be with me and be you. Yeah. And I thought there was a nice little thing where, like, he jumps into the tub with her, and then the glasses fall off. So I was like, oh, shit, you know what I mean? That's symbolism that, you know, he ha- he can be Superman with her. And the whole thing where Lois is his world. Throughout the whole movie, Superman has reasons to lose faith in humanity they basically persecute him and uh, in the crux of this there's a religious story and and i mean everybody could tell like the story of christ and then like even when lex talks about like the picture in his living room where like it's uh lucifer coming and and basically trying to take over and he said it should be upside down that's another allusion to like superman eventually going evil i am sad that as of now, we're not going to get to see that happen. Uh, we're not going to get to see Darkseid uh, like we should have. I understand how kind of like that nightmare uh, storyline could be jarring for people. But I was excited for it. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, there's Ezra Miller being the, the Flash. Like, I've never seen... At that point, I don't think we've ever seen the Flash on the big screen before. And it was like alluding yeah. to this bigger storyline but i understand with a movie that's already packed with so much it's like oh oh wow they're doing nightmare they're doing injustice yeah and that's my bad saying that last night on earth kind of took from this it was on my computer screen so i'm getting all my (laughs) batman storylines mixed up but the whole idea of like this alternate world that's something that has definitely been done in the comics before so that's apocalyptic scene just kind of took from that and i was like oh okay i see where he's going with this i don't think we really need it but the whole nightmare storyline that is one that you're kind of like okay i see what you're doing here yeah it's like everybody's fear in the movies that superman is eventually going to turn evil and basically what are we going to do because this guy can do anything he mm-hmm. has heat vi- vision he has unlimited strength it looks like he doesn't there's nothing that can kill him and basically seeing that nightmare version or having those visions is a manifestation of that. That's what happens. Like, if Superman were ever, like, decide to turn evil, that's what our future looks like. <laughs> like you yeah. mean? Like, he's going to rule uh, and we'll all die. So that's basically, I felt what, you know, Terrio and Goyer was trying to do when they're writing the story. Like, what happens when quote-unquote a god turns against us and there's always that part there's always that you know with mother boxes and everything like that like there's always that possibility yeah and even though last night on earth has nothing to do with this you should read it because snyder and capullo are a great batman team (laughs) so another great batman story yeah and you just have so many batman storylines to pull from that i do like that they went a little darker with the character in this it just felt like so much happened off screen to get here that it almost feels like we were cheated out of a lot of good story not that i necessarily think we need another joker and need to see the death of jason todd i would have liked to see more of that from ben affleck's batman because you and i have texted many times before how i wasn't a huge fan of his version of the character but i think I was mostly basing that off of after I was mostly basing that off of having seen Justice League oh. more recently at that time. Oh, man. So that whole movie was such a mess that it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, well, at least there was this because in rewatching this, I was like, okay, you know, he clearly put in the work to play this character. He went and did all the workouts and while he doesn't look like superman you know he comes pretty close with his version of batman in this and then you know you see ben affleck now in something like the way back which i haven't seen but i've seen the the trailer and you're like wow he really did do a transformation amazing movie for this movie well amazing performance by him i'll say like i i he 
One of the things that I hate is that we'll never get to see the Batman mo- movie that he would have written and directed. Yeah. Like, this guy's a great writer. He's a, When he's honed in, he's a great actor, like I thought, in Batman vs. Superman, particularly in that scene. Like, he's like, even if we have a 1% chance, like, this guy can turn against us. You know what I mean? Like, this guy uh-huh. could... It, this guy could evil, and we got to be on the drop of it when he's talking to uh, Alfred there. I, it, it's a crime, unfortunately. And, I mean, he has a very small part in Suicide Squad, too. Yeah. Very, very small. Yeah, very super small. And even though, uh, like I said, like you and I have talked at nauseum uh, basically how you are not a fan <laughs> of Jared Leto, and particularly that Joker, and I will agree with you there. I don't think that we've saw enough, but I still, I was like, D- do we really need like Joker this soon? And especially with Joaquin Phoenix, I don't know if you could really go back to that. But yeah, yeah I, I, that's why, and and I'm sorry that I'm bringing this up. That's why I do want to see the Snyder cut of Justice League. What was the full vision of what he wanted Batman to? basically be from batman versus superman batman kind of gets or bruce wayne gets his basically his humanity back and his urge to do good and they're on this quest to find the other meta humans that's another okay that's another thing that i'll bring up real fast like the theatrical cut where like diana is going through the files and seeing Uh like all like you know aquaman and the flash and cyborg I didn't initially like that scene because I'm like, oh, they're just trying to build up the Justice League movie. In the ultimate cut, they actually talk about it. It's like the yeah. meta, the metahuman. I'm like, okay, now this makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and theatrical, I'm like, okay, now we're just seeing other footage of other human, uh, other metahumans out there. And I'm glad that in the ultimate cut, they actually have some exposition to set it up. Yeah, it felt like the cuts they made were pretty crucial to understanding, okay, here is why Bruce and Diana are interacting the way they are in this movie. Because without that, it's kind of like... You're like, what? In the theatrical one, you're like, wait, why is Diana here? Oh, okay, big battle at the end. That's why she's here. (laughs) And, you know, while I don't exactly remember what the theatrical one didn't include at this point, I do remember it feeling just really choppy. And you were kind of like, wait, what? what's the purpose of this? And how did we get here? So it felt like they really should have just released the three-hour one. But like you said, it was before the MCU really started building up to these longer and longer movies. And really before people were probably wanting to sit in a theater to watch a superhero movie for three hours, especially one as dark as this one. It's certainly one that will take a lot out of you by the time you're done watching it, even if it doesn't feel like the ultimate cut was three hours. But I think Superman dies, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Emotionally, it does take a lot out of you by the end. And those emotions can be very conflicting. But Even having seen Justice League and knowing that we see him again, I was like, man, this funeral scene is really rough, especially because you have like two funerals going on at the same time for him. I was just like, oh boy, this is a lot to take in. And I think if the Snyder Cut did come out at some point, which I'm not super confident it will, I would go spend the time to watch it just because I am curious what Justice League could have been. And it really feels like... Things were kind of rocky with Zack Snyder's movies from the start because you have a very mixed crowd on Man of Steel. This one, it felt like this was the movie that a lot of people hated when it first came out. I feel like a lot of people are starting to come around on it now because because I'm thinking of if Batman and Superman wasn't made, would we get Logan? Would we get Deadpool? Like Batman and Superman was an R rating. You're like, yeah. what? Like a Superman movie's an R? Like, wouldn't that be Yeah, because you got some Ben Affleck butt in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man, that scene. I'm like, okay. But I... I was like, yes, we understand. He got fit for this role. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing that I can say with DC movies and with Zack Snyder movies is that I'm glad that they take chances. Up until maybe Civil War and stuff, I felt that 
and and still with MCU, I like a lot of those movies. Like we, you and I have talked about. It. Like I praise. I think Civil War is an amazing movie. Uh, Black Panther, another great movie. But I feel like a lot of them play it safe. Batman versus Superman did not do that. Like it, it went into like love it or hate it. It went to darker territory. It, it felt like a Batman movie that brought Superman into it. <laughs> like it, it felt. Like tonally, with you know the lighting and everything like that, like it took a lot of chances that I feel like comic book movies didn't really necessarily want to do. And I mean, this movie almost made nine hundred million. And if you think with Batman and Superman, that's a billion dollars, and it didn't. Maybe that's what the R rating, and you know that's yeah. debatable and stuff like that. And it had a what a three hundred million dollar budget, so it made a sizable amount of money, but. Just like with Man of Steel, I said that like maybe Batman vs Superman was a little ahead of its time. It came out at a point where people wouldn't accept it, but as we look upon it, and especially with the Ultimate Cut, now we get it. Like, and now I'm like the same thing with me. Like initially when I saw the theatrical, I'm like I don't get all these story beats. But then as I learned more about film, as I looked into basically like screenwriting everything and seeing what chris terrio does which is funny because as we talk we talked about rise of skywalker chris terrio also wrote that helped wrote write that movie and they used they reused a scene that they used in batman vs superman basically with jonathan and clark kent on the mountain they basically mm-hmm. reuse it with uh han and kylo it's the yeah. same scene but I don't know. It's still going to be jarring because it's very, very dark. And you think you look at Superman and even Henry Cavill, who's talked about it, he felt like it's more of a Batman movie. But I feel if you wanted to have Superman to kind of get this trajectory of being who he is, you know, the glimpse that we saw in Man of Steel, you had to give him. It seemed like he had endless op- opposition here. It was Lex Luthor. It was the people. It was Batman. And then it was Doomsday. It was like, this guy can't catch a break. But, you know, he had to basically sit with the choice. Like, all right, he chose Earth. And now Earth rejects him. And now he feels alone. But then again, his world is Lois. Lois is the constant in his world and the reason why he continues to do good. Mm-hmm. And in the theatrical cut, it really seemed that they gave Lois nothing to do. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, she's getting saved by Superman again. And the ultimate cut, she's actually being the investigative journalist that we know that she can be, which I appreciate it. Yeah, I want to dive into that a little more because we talked about how Lois was portrayed in Man of Steel. And I agree with you. She needed a lot of saving. And even with the ultimate cut, I was like, really? We got to save Lois again? <laughs> like, There are at least three moments in this where Lois is literally going to die if Superman does not come save her when she's, you know, going to this sort of terrorist zone and she meets up with quote-unquote Jimmy Olsen, who we know (laughs) within like three minutes is not actually Jimmy Olsen, because let's be honest, if Jimmy Olsen ever looked like that in the comics or the movies, someone would have noticed by now. People hated that. Hated it. They're like, oh my god, you killed off you guys just killed Jimmy Olsen like that? It's like, no, no, he was working with the CIA people. Come on, and You know, so Lois needs to be saved there. So right at the beginning of the movie, pretty much, she needs to be saved. She needs to be saved when Lex pushes her off the building. And then she needs to be saved like 20 minutes later when she's trapped in the water because, you know, she went in through the kryptonite thing down there. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, okay, so Lois would have died literally three times throughout this movie if it weren't for her relationship with Clark as Superman. So you do get this kind of repetitive thing going and you're like okay can we just have it to where lois gets this kryptonite spear and she doesn't need to be saved like can we just have one of these moments where she's doing something relatively dangerous and doesn't need to be saved she gets out of it herself so it was still a little disappointing but they did give more of that 
journalist aspect to her character in the ultimate cut, but it still just really felt like a disservice to the character <laughs> over these two movies. Yeah, like I said, like I thought that they gave Amy Adams more to do here, you know, especially like kind of investigating and finding out that Clark was framed basically by Lex Luthor or some uh-huh. force. What I think that they were trying to get to, and maybe this would have been done in Justice League, basically Clark, and it goes with the story that Jonathan Kent does, like, you know what I mean? Like, the whole story of them saving the farm and saving it from the flood, but at the same time, you know, all these animals die in another farm, and that he has to hear, you know, the screams of animals drowning, and he's like, how'd they stop? And he's like, oh, because, you know, I met your mom. And, you know, even she says, like, you know, like, how she basically alludes to him. She's like, you can't, how are you going to save me all the time? You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like when they do, they were alluding to another, Zack Snyder was basically alluding to another movie, I think. Mm-hmm. When, you know, eventually Darkseid kills her, it's like, well, uh, you can't you can't save Lois all the time, you know what I mean? Like when basically when Clark saves Lois, there's something else that happens. Like Clark can't be everywhere at once. Like when Clark is saving Lois, somebody else dies somewhere else, and it's something that Superman basically has to internally battle with. Like you know what I mean? Like even though that you want to do good, there's always going to be drawbacks to it. There's always going to be. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's. He has super speed, he has super hearing and everything like that, but he can't prevent every single tragedy. And it shows basically when he's what in the in the Senate building where the explosion happens and everybody dies and gets incinerated and he's just there. He's like, I can't yeah. see it. You know what I mean? Because the uh, wheelchair is out, outlined with lead. But he blames himself because he thought he couldn't see it because he wasn't looking for it when the truth is Lex was smart enough to line it with lead so that no matter what he couldn't see it even if he was looking for it yep it's an interesting dynamic between those two because it seems that with Clark he he operates on okay what is the best case scenario here and it's funny because there's two you do see two distinct like attributes within Clark and Superman in this movie. Clark is trying to relentlessly go after the story against you know how Batman is operating out of the you know outside the specter of the law to the point where Perry's like get you know dude get off it and he's like we are the press we are supposed to like like follow like the best stories and another funny thing like kind of going back to what you said is there is a point after the Senate where Superman kind of goes away, and that's where Clark kind of hikes up into the mountain. Mm-hmm. Clark Kent is gone for, <laughs> yeah. for a considerable amount of time. And I would think that, because I think, you know, Perry, when him and Lois, like, talk about, she's like, like, going to the, so she's like, it's not for a story. And then he looks and he's like, get her a hair helicopter. I'm like... I guess people are catching on that Superman and Clark Kent are the same person because yeah. you have to, and especially at the end of the movie because they both die. <laughs> yeah, they're they're both Magically. dead. <laughs> so like, all right, like obviously Lois knows who he is, and yeah. you know, but I'm like, are other other people have to catch on to this too because two of them are missing at the exact same time. I do want to end this on a bit of a more positive note, though, because one thing I did enjoy quite a bit from this movie were the, in particular, the Batman scenes, the action scenes. And with the Batman action scenes, you really get a sense for the place that Bruce has gone to as this vigilante. And obviously, both him and Superman are kind of acting like they're above the law because they know that what they are doing is for the greater good. It's just Superman gets treated a lot differently for it because he is so much more powerful than Batman is. And everyone kind of knows that. But then, you know, you get the final fight scene. And I think it's fine. I think the whole thing with Doomsday was just kind of adding a lot to the end of that movie and you already had this story and this sort of struggle between Batman and Superman that was going on that I think was 
really good. And then you get to the whole doomsday part and you're like, okay, well, hopefully at least we get some decent action out of this. Because story-wise, at that point, you're kind of exhausted, to be honest. But action scenes in this were some of the really great Batman action scenes that I think we've seen. And while I still really, really love Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy, I think as a whole, a lot more than I like the Batman appearances for the DCEU, which kind of no longer exists. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, you know what? These action scenes were entertaining. I got some nice stuff out of them. And those are things that I would want to watch again. I don't think I would necessarily want to watch the entire Ultimate Cut again, but just the way they changed up the Batmobile and it had obviously all of these guns on it that we're not used to it having, but just the way that it would crash through walls, the way that Batman was fighting, especially when he went to go save Martha. I think that whole sequence there was done really well. And then you have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all fighting together at the end. So that's exciting on a different kind of level because you see the Trinity together for the first time. I think you set me up for the three points of the movie, which I think were absolutely fantastic. That Batman fight scene where he's going to uh, rescue Martha, I found mm-hmm. was the best Batman fight scene in movie history. I, I, I think that was perfect. I don't know, like, the brutality, even Batman getting hurt, but, like, him kind of, like, coming back, like, perfect scene. The introduction of Wonder Woman with her score saving Batman from that blast, Mm -hmm. another perfect scene. I like when I remember when I was in the theater and was watching it, and they like revealed her with that do, 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 do. Everybody cheered. Everybody cheered. It was an amazing reveal. And I love her character basically when she's fighting Doomsday. And he hits her, and she's like just brushing off. She's like, "Come on, let's do, let's do this." Like <laughs> she's having fun. Like I'm just like, "Yeah, let's go," you know. And it set her up for her own movie, which was amazing. Patty Jenks did an amazing job with it, and I'm eagerly anticipating whenever we can, you know, God willing, you know, see uh, Wonder Woman '84 in August. Um, and then the third scene. Uh, when Clark and Lois talk for the last time, and he's like, this is my world, you're my world, and he goes to sacrifice himself. Now, yeah. I still have the Death of Superman comic in pristine condition from, like, 92, like, hidden somewhere. And I remember how, like you said, there's a lot of story beats in within this third act, okay? Like, you have... Batman and Superman fighting, which I thought, like, great scene, especially from a cinematographer standpoint where it's dark and raining and they're fighting each other. And then it seems like they're going to this, like, this cathedral before Batman, you know, decides to stab him with the kryptonite. Great scene. Um, Then you have the whole Lex thing, like, blood of my blood, like, him basically creating Doomsday. I mean... That doesn't happen in the comics, but it kind of, but it's a storyline beat, and the whole death of Superman. Now you now a lot of people complain like Superman has gotten his ass whooped a lot in this movie, like yeah. Batman because the you know the Kryptonite, him and uh, Doomsday are trading blows over and over again, and he makes the ultimate sacrifice of you know basically getting stabbed by you know doomsday with the kryptonite spear and you know there's that scene where they have the score and he's just lying there with lois crying over him and i think there's yeah there's two crosses in the background which Zack snyder kind of pointed to where it's supposed to be for him and then batman in the later movie because spoiler alert at the end of Zack snyder's arc batman was supposed to die yeah and then the whole funeral scene like it's a lot to take in, but that funeral scene is so beautiful. Like, and basically how this whole movie, other than instances of Clark saving people, is dark. It's gray. It's tonally like everything is just kind of depressing, and it takes on as you go throughout the movie. It takes on the basically the feeling of Gotham. And throughout the whole funeral scene, there's light. It's still gray, but, like, it's lighter. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Like where it it shows that like Bruce is starting to come back to a sense of virtue because of Clark's sacrifice, and then you have like Lois, you know, with the dirt, and then the ending where the dirt rises from. You're like, oh, okay. He's. I, I would have rather you know, Zack Snyder cut that. I I, yeah. I wanted him to cut that. I was like, I know. Anybody, any comic book fan knows that Superman is going to return. Like, he's he's going to come back. But I would have rather kind of ended it on that note. Yeah, especially because you probably knew at this time that they were already planning on Justice League. And you probably can't have a Justice League without a Superman at some point. <laughs> so... Yeah, and then, like, the, the Justice League promos were all, like, confusing because they were trying to hide... Like Superman, they're like, well, we can't use him. And then at the end, they're like, oh, he's here. He is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah, it, it's a lot to take in at the end for sure. But I think overall, watching the ultimate cut boosted my enjoyment of it. And I do want to give a quick little shout out to Jeremy Irons as Alfred because he does provide some levity <laughs> with his little jokes that he cracks every now and then. But <laughs> yeah, this was one that I'm glad I did end up buying and watching the Ultimate Cut. Whether or not I'll watch it too many more times will remain to be seen just because it is three hours of your three day hours. that that, that you know, whole third act is an hour in itself and it could yeah. be its own movie <laughs> yeah definitely but do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up release the snyder cut man oh, just drop it on we got nothing to do we're all in the house you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> there aren't any new movies coming out for the foreseeable future even though like moviegoers like deanna and myself would like that done like sooner rather than later <laughs> you got listen you got hbo max you need subscriptions just drop that snyder cut on hbo max and we will watch it give zach money to finish all the rendering and all the post and just drop it like it doesn't yeah we've moved on from the dcu we're not going to see that vision it'd just be neat to see I think a lot of people would certainly sign up for whatever service that ends up on. If it's HBO Max, great. If it's, you know, DC Universe, if DC Universe doesn't roll into that, it's a whole mess right now <laughs> with Warner <laughs> Brothers and their streaming options. But I would watch it if it came out, like I said earlier. And it's just one of those things where I'm not going to obsess over it, but I am interested. And maybe one day I will get around to covering justice league and suicide squad and sort of finishing off the dceu (laughs) movies and it's one of those things where even though i don't necessarily like everything dc did there are good things to pull apart from a movie as dark as batman versus superman so merjani i am very glad we finally got to talk about this one i know we've been talking about talking about it on the podcast for a while now but we finally made it happen yeah no i mean it's a long watch, man. It, there's a lot that happens in it, and there's a lot to take in. So, you know, I appreciate you kind of, like, st- <laughs> sticking it out for three hours and, like, buying, like, the actual ultimate cut. Because the theatrical cut, like, just don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> watch the ultimate cut. I would recommend that as well. But before we go, I quickly want to let you all know how you can support Welcome to Geekdom. You can sign up for our Patreon, which... F- you can do for a dollar a month. That'll just get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you'll get to pick a topic and I'll find someone to discuss it with. $5 a month, you'll get access to the Welcome to Geekdom Slack, which Merjani and I are both on along with other guests from the show. And we talk about movies, TV, video games, everything that is also discussed on this (laughs) podcast. Yeah. And... You can follow us on social media at GeekdomPod on Twitter and Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.